Pelvic Posse, and welcome to the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. It's Amanda and Morgan. We have helped thousands of people with pelvic floor issues, and it's totally our jam. Here you can listen to expert interviews encompassing all things related to pelvic health. That is pee, poop, sex, and everything in between. You have a pelvic floor. Yes, you. We all do. And it's time to start talking about issues that may arise, but more importantly, how to improve them. We are so glad you are here to join us. Now let's head into this week's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Okay. Hi, Pelvic Posse. Today, I have my dear friend, Megan Harris here to talk to us about her story. Um, the reason why I wanted to go ahead and interview Megan is because not only has she been a friend of mine for a really long time, but her story during her pregnancy, her labor and delivery story, as well as her rehab is just something I feel like a lot of people go through and don't talk about or have not heard that this is potentially something that could happen with their deliveries. And so I'm, I want her to kind of go ahead and tell you guys so that you have an idea of different things that happen during different people's pregnancies, labor deliveries, postpartum recoveries, and how you really can help them and why pelvic PT is even potentially a great rehab option for you. So Megan, thank you so much for being with us today. I really, really appreciate well, it. So tell us a little bit about your background and professionally and personally and what kind of wherever you would like to start with that. So obviously I am a physical therapist. We graduated in the same class um, since, gosh, we graduated four years, four and a half years ago. Yes. Crazy. Um, I have been with John Knox Village since. Um, I'm a home health physical therapist. So I see anything from car accidents to broken pelvics, um, pelvis, um, post rehab stay, strokes. I kind of see a little bit of everything. Um, I love it. Of course, the pandemic kind of threw us through some hoops um, because Definitely. it was. <laughs> crazy. Um, but I see mostly elderly. I would say the average is probably 70 to 80s. Um, a lot of Parkinson's, neuro, um, and I love it. So yeah. that's me professionally. Um, personally, I love hiking, being outdoors. Um, my husband's a physical therapist assistant, so I'm at rehab and the clinical manager. Um, so we I always tell people we're the same but different, like yeah. same profession. I wouldn't know what to do with his clients very well. He would not know what to do walking to a home of an 80-year-old woman with dementia. So totally different. Um, but we've been married for three and a half years. Um, we had Jack, of course, um, of April of last year. And yeah. then I have two older boys. I call them my bonus kids. I didn't have to have labor for them. Um, <laughs> and they are nine and 10. So we are sports, 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 family full of boys. Yes. Um, Even getting this to like us to do this podcast, it was like, well, we have soccer every single night, then baseball, then football. I mean, that's just like your life yeah. right now. Yeah. It's a holiday. So that's why we have today off. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> this is why I could get you. Perfect. No, no. So tell us a little bit first about like, more of your like athleticism background as far as like even when you got married to John and what kind of things that you both are involved in more in that world so that you can kind of set up what it looks like for you after. Yeah. So John has been involved in strongman stuff, Highland Games stuff, just kind of everything. Um, one of my goals before we got married, of course, was to look 
as great as I could. So <laughs> I started getting into the CrossFit world. Um, John treats a lot of CrossFit's patients, um, has just kind of been in that community for a really long time. So I started the 6 a.m. class and the wedding was a really good motivation motivator um, right after school. Um, so I went to the 6 a.m. class basically four or five days a week. Um, probably was in the best shape of my life. Yeah. Um, John and I have hiked Pikes Peak. Um, it was our goal to hike Grand Canyon. And that was Grand Canyon was like um, rim to rim. It's 25 miles. Um, wow. That was kind of our last really big goal before we were going to try to get pregnant. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I mean, you guys are extremely active and you both, like you said, come from similar but different backgrounds, which I think gives you guys such an interesting um, dynamic to your relationship. And so also for him too to go through all this with you, I mean, go through your pregnancy and delivery and all that kind of stuff and him be able to, you know, I, I don't treat that many patients that have husbands that are as well-versed with the musculoskeletal system. So for him to have been <laughs> yeah. there for you, that was really helpful for your rec- you know recovery as well. So right. yeah, that's awesome. So tell us a little bit about like what your pregnancy was like overall, whether that was, you know, emotionally physically, what activities you were able to keep up with, maybe what it even looked like as your pregnancy progressed, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I found out I was pregnant just because I was regularly testing. It's not like I was feeling bad or anything. Um, I tested at like five in the morning just because I thought well, might as well test and it was positive. And I just couldn't believe it. Cause I'm like, nothing feels different about my body. Like <laughs> I feel fine. Um, but as it started going on, um, I definitely was nauseous. Um, not necessarily vomiting per se. I mean, everyone thinks of morning sickness of puking and, oh, they puked their guts out. Um, yeah. Mine just kind of an all day steady. Like I just didn't want to eat. Um, and I've never had that problem. <laughs> so I just kind of had to almost force myself to eat, um, you know, whatever, if it sounded good, number one, I was getting it, but not really anything sounded good. Um, yeah. you know, I knew the baby needed protein and just any calories. So, um, my doctor, Dr. Zell, she's wonderful. was really just like, if it sounds good, eat, eat it. it. I don't care if you eat pasta yeah. every single day. Um, and I lost a little bit of weight, but not, not too crazy much because I really would just set goals of, okay, every couple hours, I'm going to eat a little something. Um, and yeah. that pretty much lasted a really long time. I got kind of used to it. Um, you find little strategies, like I would walk into patients' home and smell like sausage. They just had breakfast or something. And that would just like, oh, throw them over the edge. <laughs> um, but I would carry like a little bit of essential oils or just something that I like to smell in my pocket on a cotton ball. Um, oh, that's smart. Yeah. So if like I knew I was going to a friend's house for dinner or, you know, meat was like a really big trigger of mine, um, but gum didn't really help or, you know, I didn't want to take any medications because um, I just kind of felt like I could handle it. Um, so just finding those triggers and things that can make it better was just really important for me. Um, activity level wise, um, then I just kept up with CrossFit. I mean, I told some of the coaches, um, they're, you know, responsible like respect the HIPAA portion, even though it's CrossFit and not medical. Um, so they knew pretty early on because, um, you know, I didn't want to have necessarily any jumping that was not needed. Um, or, you know, the weights were (laughs) kind of, you know, I just didn't feel very good. So I didn't want them to ask why my 
like why I was really changing some of their exercises right. um, and kind of throw up some flags that everyone else would then, of course, figure it out. So they kind of helped cover it up just a little bit and um, help me modify some exercises. Which I'm um, like so glad that you told them that because I have patients in the clinic that it is funny. Everybody is different to you. That may seem so normal for you to be like, well, of course I told my coach that I was pregnant. That seems like a no brainer. They're monitoring my physical activity. But I do have patients that are like, well, I haven't told them yet because of X, Y, or Z. And it's it's like, no, they need to know. They really need to know so that they can, like you said, modify you appropriately or at least understand why your performance doesn't look the same as it did a week ago or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's super important to just tell them as early on as as you can, honestly, because... Um, you know, it was just pregnancy was new for me. I didn't really yeah. know how it was going to affect my activity level. Um, I have a pretty high heart rate, like when I do CrossFit, and that's kind of always been the case. But something the doctors wanted me to do is just monitor at a certain level. So I would have yeah. to back up a little bit. And um, they were just super supportive and they loved that I told them. So, Good. you know, anyone listening, if they're, if you're questioning your fitness trainer or your nutrition coach or anything, you know, people are just really respectable about keeping your privacy. Yeah. Um, and they're happy for you. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's a happy, joy. Yeah. Um, and then also when I found out it was really hot, it was the summer, you know, CrossFit Lee Summit doesn't have any air conditioning. Um, so I also wanted them to know just, you know, something, if I were to pass out or something, you know, someone's right. got it. Yeah. Someone um, needs to be aware. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was kind of my first trimester. I would say around Thanksgiving time. Yes. Cause I was really excited that I could eat Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving time, <laughs> second trimester. I felt fine. I mean, I felt good. Um, belly starting to show change of clothes starting to happen. Um, but I really felt completely fine still modifying some activities, you know, at this stage, you can't really do the burpees to the ground or just different stuff. Um, yeah, it was probably a little overly cautious. I know some people do a lot of cleans or step ups and I just, I don't know. I just wanted to do different stuff. Yeah. Um, so I continued to go to CrossFit and probably until about flu season. Um, and that was really just my own personal choice. The weather was starting to get bad. I didn't want to be in the cars, you know, driving at six o'clock in the morning when it's snowing. Right. Um, and we bought a rogue fitness bike at home so I could do that. Yes. Um, right bike. It was such an, a good intense exercise with being able to sit down, monitor my heart rate, have water. Absolutely. Um, so I basically did CrossFit until, um, November, December. Okay. Uh, and then of course COVID hit. So yeah, um, when COVID hit, that was obviously a eh, not going. Even before everything was locked down, um, my doctor basically was don't go, not worth it. Yeah. Um, a lot of walks, a lot of bikes. I did intervals on the bikes. I did long distance watching TV shows. Um, kept up with my squats. Um, but other than like jumping and anything that would put too much abdominal pressure, I just pretty much kept up with until I remember, and I want to say it was about 30 weeks that I noticed that I was getting the coning. Yes. I, and I remember that too, because I remember you texting or calling or coming in the clinic and you were like, look, it's here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like third trimester hit. And then you just yep. like, boom. boom. Yep. It's like, Oh, little, little bump, little bump, boom. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, so many people, I mean, and saying this, and we say this all the time on Instagram, but you know, so many people say, 
well, I want to avoid this. I don't want to get the diastasis recti, which is the cone or domain that you're referring yeah. to. And, you know, I tell people to, when you carry a child into the 34th week of pregnancy, you it's a hundred percent of women will have a diastasis recti. And so it is so normal. And that's not really said much in our world. Like, oh, so many yeah. people say it's normal to pee your pants. No, it's not. But a diastasis recti is like, I feel like the one thing I'm like, this is going to happen to you. It's not the end of the world. But it is something that we want to try to minimize and make sure that we recover and rehab appropriately after baby is out. Right. And I remember when I started noticing that was honestly uh, sitting up in bed. Normally, I just kind of fling myself up in bed. Yeah. And I noticed that. And that's when I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, ah, <laughs> dear. Um but I noticed it more at that point. And so then I would just really watch. Sometimes I'd even like tuck my shirt in because I was at home by myself, you know? So if you're at the gym, I don't know how that would go, but yeah. I would tuck my shirt in so I could see it because I see a lot. Of, I'm sure you see it too. And probably drives you crazy stuff on Instagram about these uh, female athletes who, I mean, they're doing incredible stuff, but if they have the coning, like it's just regress. It's okay to regress. Yes. Um, right. You know, we want to be as active as possible. And I definitely tried to be, but you have to find that middle balance. Yeah. Um, so that's when I really had to modify some, some stuff, but only because I saw that and I well, didn't want to make it worse. And absolutely. And I also think that's what makes your story that we will continue to talk about, you know, interesting too, because I can, I see so many people that come into our clinic who didn't modify things during their pregnancy and kept up completely with their performance goals and whatnot. And, and it's not necessarily, it's not good for everyone. It's not bad for everyone. It really depends on the person, but it's even with modifications that you made to know what happened, you know, postpartum, so many people do not prep themselves during their pregnancy the way that they should. And you you did a really good job of that because you, you are even coming into our clinic and doing some therapy as well during your pregnancy, more in the third trimester, right? Yeah, I think we started third trimester because of the coning and then, or the recti. And then also, I mean, I'm five, two, don't have much room. And Jack was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and so you were just the cupping. I just remember the cupping helps. So yes. And around your ribs, right? You were having mm-hmm. quite a bit of rib issue at that point. Yeah, just because I it, I didn't have room. And plus, I was yeah. going to work every day. I'm on my feet a lot. I'm transferring patients, um, which was another thing. Um, my team's great. Anyone who was max assist by third trimester, um, you know, really lifting. I say max assist on the podcast. Um, they were taking them. For you. Okay. I couldn't do it with my belly. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the I, it was more just of kind of management, I felt like we were achieving just to kind of get me through because it was getting bigger, you know, um, the ligaments were getting tighter and you were releasing that. And I would feel good for a couple of days before I would notice that I was getting more tight. My, you know, referred pain was happening in my low back. Mm -hmm. uh, And it was just, it was very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I always say that to patients. I'm like, Pregnancy is such a different goal when you come to, into physical therapy because it's not when you're postpartum, we're kind of hoping to see changes in a somewhat linear fashion. It's never linear, like, you know, but to mm-hmm. pregnancy is management. It's way different because you're changing every day and kind of we're like fighting this battle. So, and like exactly to your point, it's management 100%. But those people who say, well, I'll just go after I deliver, then it's they're kind of in a, in a tough spot. So how was your delivery actually? Tell us about that. 
So Jack decided to uh, bless us six weeks early. Um, so my water broke when I was 34 in two days, I believe. I think it was two days. Um, a couple weeks into lockdown. Um, so it's just, I mean, I'm sure everyone who's listening is just like, oh, wow. Um yeah. So we went to St. Luke's East, kind of thought, um, you know, who knows? We we thought my water broke, but it's one of those things you're kind of in. De- I was in denial. I'll just yeah. out. like, no, it didn't happen, but we got to go check it, get it checked out. Um, so I was positive for my water breaking. Um, and at that point, you know, we just started the mass. Um, John was allowed to come in. Thank goodness. I couldn't I can't imagine not having him, but no one else could visit. Um Let's see, my water broke at five around five o'clock on a Thursday, right before Good Friday. And Jack was born at 5:53 on Good Friday. Um labor is just something that you can't describe. Um, just it hurts and you don't know what to do, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um also with the hospital, you know, this doesn't really have it's not my delivery, but the hospital was only having one doctor a day because um, they didn't want more of the doctors kind of exposed to themselves. You know, we've only heard about COVID for a couple of weeks now. They didn't know yeah. anything about it. Um, they, we didn't know how it affected pregnant women, um, how it affected babies. Um, my doctor and I kind of before, this is a side subject, but couple weeks before we were kind of planning because Jack was really growing a lot and he was six pounds six weeks early so yeah big big boy (laughs) yeah big baby um we were talking about being induced and me taking off work and quarantining myself you know how this all plan and if there's anything I've learned in pregnancy if you're type a and you're gonna plan it all out don't do it about you not gonna happen (laughs) don't waste your time don't waste your time um so we kind of had this whole plan and of course nothing went to plan. Um, Dr. Vandenboom was delivered my, um, uh, delivered Jack and he was wonderful. Um, came in and talked to me about kind of what 30 being 34 weeks early meant, um, what he was thinking could happen, um, kind of laid it all out there for me, gave me some positive encouragement that at 34 weeks, the lungs, um, are developed. So we really got to watch that for Jack. Yeah. Um, you know, they monitored my vitals, all of that stuff. But um, when he was, when I was actually in like pushing and going to labor, um, everyone was in full PPE, um, face shields, gowns, you know, the whole nine yards. And you were too until like, didn't you say you like were like, I'm, I got to tear this mask off while I'm pushing? <laughs> well, I, when we, when she kind of warned me, the first nurse, um, Jen, she was like my nurse throughout the whole thing. Um, just had a mask on and some, and some goggles. Um, and you know, she asked us to put her mask on and I just straight up asked her, I'm like, am I going to have to wear this? Cause in labor, you're, you're sweating. Like, not only does it hurt, but like, I was scared because he's six weeks early. Yeah. yeah. You know, my mom couldn't be there. You know, it's, it's kind of almost like a fight or flight. <laughs> like Absolutely. Um, but there's no flight. You just got to fight. Um, and so I asked her, I was like, do I have to wear this mask during, <laughs> during labor? She was like, um, yeah, but like, if it goes kind of off during it, like, just 
No, she was, she, she realized what she was asking me to do was right. Right. And And like you said, it was only a few weeks in and I mean, still we are wearing masks and happy to do it, but labor is one of the times I just feel like, I don't know how anybody could be restricted in their breathing. Right. Right. And she said, like, if I feel like I was in distress, you know, they will pick my safety. Yes. Um, Right. So yeah, that was that. Um, Jack came out, he did have to go to the NICU. Um, he was on a vent for about 40 hours, came off of it really quickly. Um, had a feeding tube. He just wasn't wanting to eat like whatsoever. Um, so at day 16, he finally was eating, um, normally and was gaining weight. So we were allowed to go home. Um, and then during that process, um, John had to unfortunately go home. They were only allowing one person, um, which, you know, when they tell you only one person per day at the NICU, you're like, okay, well, it's the mom. <laughs> like, yeah, no yeah. questions about that. Um, and everyone was super uh, supportive. Um, the nursing staff, I know, stepped up and did things that normally, not normally that they wouldn't, but normally they wouldn't have to because you have support. And right. um, I basically was just by myself, which is kind of crazy because, um, you know, I just had a baby. Um, so we had... Jack on Friday morning, John had to leave. Sunday was Easter and that's when John had to leave. Um, I mean, yeah, and totally not what you pictured your, you know, birthing experience to be, couldn't have been probably more opposite. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I didn't get to have a... Um, a baby shower. I didn't get to have, you know, looking at the hospital. I don't know personally if they're doing that now, but Mm -hmm. I think if you can go see a hospital, just seeing the room, kind of having an expectation of what everything looks like. I mean, I didn't get to do any of that. Oh, because you didn't, you didn't do a, like a walkthrough or a tour. They canceled it. Wow. That's kind of crazy to think about, right? You couldn't even like visualize your birth, which is a really big thing they talk about, you know? Right. Yeah. We couldn't go into the hospital and kind of see anything. Um, I didn't, they probably didn't have the virtual tour set up at that point since it was so new, you know what I mean? No. Yeah. My, which my tour was supposed to be a week before Jack actually came. And of course they sent the email and they sent like brochures and stuff, but there's just, there's a difference of being in the room, seeing where things are. Absolutely. Um, Of course at the hospital, all the cafeterias were closed. Like literally nothing was open. It was a ghost town. It was like when you looked out of the building, there's 12 cars at the hospital. Like it, it was during that time. Um, So, you know, that just, I'm type A, I like to be prepared. Um, You know, not that I've like dreamt of having a baby since I was little, you know, but it's it's always been a goal of mine. So you think of how, how pregnancy is going to go, you know, it's going to be so perfect. Every day is going to be awesome. Um, You know, you're going to have the baby shower with all your friends and you're going to have this birth and you're going to come home and all your friends are going to be there, you know, to support you. And it was just the complete opposite. Um, yeah. so, Very isolating. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I had to kind of go through a grieving stage, um, whether I wanted to admit it or not. And so if there's any pandemic moms listening, you know, it's okay to just be like, it's this sucked. Like yeah. it was a traumatic experience. Um, and it took, I feel like it took me a long time to say that because I didn't want to sound ungrateful. Um, yeah. Jack is super healthy now. Um, I'm doing really well. You know, he's 17 months now. He's 
we're both doing incredible. Um, and, and I know there's a lot of people with fertility issues. And so I didn't want to say like, Oh, poor me, like this. Right. Sucks. <laughs> um, but you, you know, we had to grieve what we lost. I kind of felt like I lost a little bit absolutely um, for a long time. Um, and I, I was mad at some point, you know, you want to be mad at the doctors, the hospital, cause you're by yourself. Um, but now I just kind of look at it of like, look what I've accomplished. Like, look what I did. I had a baby during a pandemic Yeah, in the NICU by myself. Yeah. I mean, that's wild. Yeah. Um, so I feel like just everyone's experience is going to be different. Hopefully people, you know, the hospitals will continue to be open up and there can be visitors and all the, all the good stuff. Um, but even if it's not, um, you know, I think we just have to learn how to use it as a good experience and um, just what our bodies can do. Absolutely. No, definitely. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you said, to be able like to get to reach a point that you were able to spin it that way in your head, that takes a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It took a long time, but um, you know, talking to you, talking to my mom, talking to other people, um, talking, especially talking to um, moms that have had um, babies in the NICU, pre, even pre-pandemic, um, talking to the moms when we were there because we had like a little cafeteria mm-hmm. that, you know, that's some of the moms. And I just remember one day, I just remember I was feeling really good. And then I walk out and I just saw like four different moms, just new moms, just all sitting at different tables, just like crying. Ugh. And I was just like, oh, so I just went and sat down by one of them and we talked and you know, we're trying to be each other's support systems, but so finding those people who they don't even have to have anything to say, just, just support you. Just to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When it was such a isolating experience for everybody. And I mean, that's the, the emotional trauma that has happened for any woman has gone through labor during COVID, especially at the height of it, when things were no one knew. I mean, there's still a lot of unknown and I'm not going to belittle that, but there was a lot of things that weren't set in place yet when you were delivering Jack and so so many other people too. And just the hysteria of it all that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's just hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. And I think the best thing for me and probably others is just admitting that it was hard and knowing that it's okay to say that was hard and that sucked. Yeah. Um, And just, yeah, being able to say that definitely helped me a lot. Well, tell us a little bit about what your postpartum recovery looks like. Um, So kind of went through more of that, like emotional and mental piece, but more of like what, you know, what did you expect of your body and how did it go? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So what I expected, honestly, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, you know, I feel like you hear complete sides, like opposite sides of the story. You hear about these females who were like bounced back, they're running a half marathon in four weeks. And then you see these people, oh, you know, I never got back to my activity level. I'm a mom. I'm I'm just so busy. You know, I haven't lost any of the weight. Right. Um, so I didn't necessarily know what to expect. I mean, I expected to be sore, uh, especially during labor. I was like, holy cow. Um, I expected to be sore and just overall tired. Um, but I really wasn't like right after labor. Um, I had a lot of tailbone soreness that I'm sure we'll talk about later um, to the point that it was like hard to move. Yeah. Um, and I would sit on a boppy, like when I was, especially when I was at the NICU, I would just sit on a boppy. So if anyone has tailbone pain, sit on a boppy. That's a good idea. Yeah. You don't need to get a tailbone cushion. <laughs> no. The okay. Good idea. Was, 
Eddie, the boppy was 80 times better than those donut cushions. Um, but you know, I'm walking, being able to get up. I'm like, I was ready to go. I don't know if it was the adrenaline right after labor, um, or the fact that I was by myself. So I just kind of had to do it. Um, but energy wise, I was fine, but you quickly learn that even though you feel like you can do it, doesn't mean you should be doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, I felt like I could go run if I needed to. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It, but you start doing it and you're like, Oh, better not. Yeah. So it's not like an, it wasn't a, it wasn't necessarily like a, a whole body strength issue or felt like I was, you know, fatigued or short of breath or anything like that. It was more just like your, your body overall is just needs time to heal. And, um, I've never had a surgery. I've never been hospitalized before. Um, so I think that's why I didn't really know how what to expect. Yeah. Uh, And it's hard because you, you know, you would look at someone or you look at me and you think, oh, she's completely fine. You know, Um, but yet my tailbone hurts like every second of the day, every movement, every, every couch, I'm like in the bed. Um, Yeah. Tell us about what happened with your tailbone. Um, So I just, any movement, like it just felt like super sharp pain and it was like right in my tailbone. Like there's no questions about that. Um, you know, they would, I didn't want to take any pain meds. Um, I would take like a Tylenol or something, but yeah. Um, you know, I didn't complain of it too much because number one, I didn't, no one ever really talked about tailbone pain. And I just kind of thought this is, this is my thing, you know, I'm I'm not sure anywhere else. So this is my pain and this is what I'm I'm gonna work at. Um, and it lasted for a very long time. I yes. honestly couldn't even tell you. Um, at one and finally, because I knew being a physical therapist, of course, we know that there's nothing you can do in the moment for a broken tailbone other than, you know, positions, different stuff. Um, so I thought if it's broken, well, I'm not gonna go get an x-ray because what that's not gonna change anything. Right. Um, but it just wasn't getting better. And I just kind of needed to know, okay, is this my tailbone? Is this something else? Um, so I did get an x-ray and it was broken, pretty obvious. Um, and then and, and do they think that that was for sure during your delivery, right? Yeah. Yep. Cause there's no way it couldn't have happened anywhere else. I didn't have a fall or anything. Okay. They said, sometimes that happens. Um, a lot of force, um, as Jack was coming out and of course I didn't really feel it, um, when it initially occurred, especially cause you're, I mean, you're in labor. So kind of everywhere is like max contracting. Yes. Um, but it just kind of wasn't, it's not that it wasn't getting better, but it was still, if I moved a certain way, I couldn't really tolerate sitting very well. Yeah. Um, and especially going from like a seated position to standing, yeah. that movement alone was a killer. Yeah. Like in the NICU, when I would hold Jack and I would want to stand to walk with him or something, I would have to press the button because I would have to hand Jack to the nurse and then get up and then get Jack because it wasn't safe for me to try to even stand up yeah. the, the sharp pain. And I want to say that lasted a good six to eight months. Yeah. Yes. A long time. Now it got way better. Um, like I couldn't ride a bike for a long time and I was really excited to ride the bike, like after, you know, after being postpartum, but I couldn't tolerate that. Um, sitting in the car was pretty difficult. Um, but you're in the car a lot for your job. Yeah. Especially, yeah. With home health, 
going from place to place and I stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down a ton. And that was the the motion that hurt the worst. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I feel like so many women too, they, you know, you can break your tailbone during delivery. And I'm like, yes, it, it's a thing. And it, you know, and so then they're like, is it forever? How do you fix it? Um, and it is something that I hope people know physical therapy can help it. Now it's not going to heal a broken tailbone, but there are so mm-hmm. many different ways to get the pelvic floor muscles that go right to that tailbone to calm down, to work with your breath, positioning and posture and all that kind of stuff. There's so many things we can do to help with managing the symptoms so that it can progressively get better. Uh, but I mean, it affected you even with your like nervous system, right? Yeah, it also, well, and still sometimes not, so we're what, 17 months out. There'll be some times that I sit a certain way and like, I can feel it. So it's, you know, it's still healing and still working on those pelvic, like all those pelvic muscles. Right. Um, yeah. So I felt totally fine. Um, you know, with my pelvic floor, obviously very weak and we were working on that, but nothing, right. nothing out of the ordinary, just weak. It felt like I had a baby. Um, but then I started having like really burning, um, sensitive, like it just kind of always hurt, but didn't feel like it was my muscles. It didn't yes. feel like, like I was having pelvic, how, if someone said, do you have pelvic pain? Like I would want to say no, because yeah. it didn't feel like that. It felt like burning. Um, like it was just irritated all the time. And you even um, had some like bladder, you know, ir- urgency and whatnot with mm-hmm. it as well. Right. Yeah. I had, um, where I would go to the bathroom and then like literally three minutes later, I'd be like, I feel like I could go again. And I couldn't. So then, you know, we thought it was a UTI. So we got checked out for that. And, um, they did it all different tests of what the common things were, like what people think of when they think of burning. And I was trying to tell them it doesn't hurt when I pee. It just burns like if I wipe or just right. whatever. Contact, um, yes. Yes, any contact. Um, and so they were just testing a bunch of different stuff. And I actually went to a urine, urogynecologist, which if anyone needs one, KU is awesome. Um and they even looked at how much I was emptying my bladder. And I, gosh, I want to say 200 milliliters. I did not empty. Like I peed and then they cast me. It was a lot. basically. Yeah. That you were having like a residual amount, not yet like re- retaining that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then so we worked on that about emptying your bladder. And because I wasn't having any like belly pain from having, you know, my bladder be that full. Yeah. Um, but you know, the tailbone with my bladder pressing down the tailbone being broken, um, especially your hormones are changing. You know, that's one thing I don't think I was really prepared for. Like you, you know, your hormones are changing during pregnancy, but after you don't think about it, um, like I had night sweats and I remember I was Googling, like if night sweats were normal, of course it's during COVID. So I'm like, Oh no. Um, (laughs) But you're, it's just all your hormones, you know, it's almost like a menopause situation. Um, So all those hormones, broken tailbone, like it was almost kind of a perfect storm of what was going on. And that didn't start, I don't think until about three to four months after. Yes. Um, And that's when I was like, I need to see you now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Nothing's making sense. They just kept on you know, different doctors wanted to give me different medications. I would take them for a couple of days. And I'm like, this isn't helping. Like I'm not taking three weeks of medications of antibiotics when it's not helping. It just doesn't seem like it's the the problem. Right. Um, 
yeah, it's just that's I think this is this this is one of the times that I would just say you got to be your own advocate and you've got to talk to pelvic floor therapists, um, your gynecologist, just to say, you know, I don't think that this is right. I don't yeah. think of this. Um, because other than that, I, you know, if I didn't know you, I don't know if I would have found answers as quick as we figured them out. Right. And it really was, I mean, from what we've thought it was really all stemming from that tailbone fracture because all there's so many nerves that come down into your pelvic floor around the tailbone. And it was like those muscles were doing so much overtime work that it was making Mm -hmm. your nerves pissed off. And that is, I, I, that's one of the questions I ask all my patients. If they see a newly postpartum um, patient who has tailbone pain, I ask that all the time. Are you having any numbness, burning, tingling, referred pain? Mm -hmm. And more than not, they are there, or even if it's more bladder urgency, there's so many connections. And yeah, if to your point, like when people don't have access to other practitioners, I mean, at one point you were even diagnosed with interstitial cystitis. And I do see that a lot. People come in who really do have IC, um, but also who are potentially incorrectly diagnosed with any number of urogynecological diagnoses. And it's Mm -hmm. because, you know, they're like, well, we could try this medication and not to you know, put shame on any physician that's trying to help a patient. But I think people don't give enough credit to what your pelvic floor muscles can do in a good or bad way. (laughs) Right, right. Well, and, you know, like you said, they, not to say any physician's bad, but they, I I personally felt like they just wanted to give me a diagnosis. You know, me and you talked about the diagnosis before. Um, I really tried to do everything before I even saw a doctor. You know, I took out coffee, I took out alcohol, or I purposely drank it to see if it changed any of my symptoms. Um, And it was just kind of a trial and error. Nothing was changing it. There was no correlation. Um, So, you know, if not saying (laughs) if you get a diagnosis, you know, don't just hundred percent believe it. Um, but you know, that's when you have to be your own advocate and, and, and talk to a pelvic floor therapist, see what you can do to see if it is the correct diagnosis. Um, especially I think we're still continuing just as PTs, as doctors learning about how, how birthing affects your whole body. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I was not, ha- I was not happy with that diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm not going to accept this. And I remember being like, I really don't believe that that is what's going on. And and you were seeing changes with pelvic floor therapy. So right. That was and I remember thing. one symptom and that was in particular that you just were like mind blown about was when um, we were doing some nerve glides. And I said, that feels like you're touching me with a curling iron. Yes. And that's when kind of, I feel like you were like, it's nerves. It's yeah. Nerves. yeah. I was like, it has, it's stemming from your tailbone. It's all goes back to that. And even when you were feeling better with your tailbone, that, that some of those more nervous system uh, symptoms were bothering you more at that point. So it's, it's right. interesting. The body is really, you know, and, and I think too, as a new mom, and I see this a lot too, is you put yourself second. And so, so many moms will come in and they will go through symptoms like this or any number of the different ones that you could potentially have postpartum. And they're like, I just didn't have time to get in here, or I thought I would get better on its own. And here we are two years, five years postpartum, whatever, and things potentially have gotten worse or the body has done goofy things to compensate. And that is a lot harder to fix than approaching it at 
an earlier postpartum stage, which you did. And so I think your outcomes are definitely different in comparison to if you had waited. Right. And I think this is when it's just super important to know that, you know, it's not worth waiting. And if something comes up, like say it, it's okay okay to say it. Um, I, I feel like a lot of us look at all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, um, and see all these pregnant women doing all these incredible things or postpartum women doing all these incredible things. And no one's people are doing are so much better now, especially people like that know you guys, but people just aren't talking about the, like the things that you have to rehab from, you know, it's always, Oh, look at me, look what I'm doing. Um, and so I feel like people don't want to sometimes admit like, Oh, I'm having this, I'm having this, I'm having urgency, whatever. Um, because they feel like they're not, I don't know, doing as well as someone else when in reality, you just gotta, you just gotta tell someone and get on the rehab because the moment I started finally, like, even as a physical therapist, you know, you would tell me to do things. I wouldn't do them every day. And then I'd be like, oh, I can't, I can't get mad at myself. And I'm not even like following a PT's advice that I think is good. Yeah. Uh, The moment that I started doing them multiple times a day, or even, you know, spend 10 minutes at night, really focusing on the things. That's when we started noticing a A change. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that your story is so good to hear for so many women because a lot of people are in these similar situations, unfortunately, and don't know where to go for that kind of care. So yeah, what advice would you have for anybody as a first-time mom postpartum? Like if you could think of something that you wish maybe you would have known or in your background is different. Cause like you said, you're a physical therapist yourself and you know, you're not, you were married and, you know, thought about your pregnancy. Some people get pregnant really quick and just, you know, it's all of a sudden, but for you, what would you be like? I kind of wish I would have known this. And I would tell someone like about re like about rehab or just, yeah, just like anything postpartum, whether, I mean, it, it can go back for, to, you know, more of the emotional side of it, or it's, you know, like, I wish I would have given myself more grace about getting back to running or I mean, anything. Um, yeah, I think, just giving giving probably more grace and just healing mentally, emotionally, and physically all together. Like I just expected to really bounce back. And I mean, I, I, I truly have, especially with your guys' help. Um, but just know that everyone's different, you know, pregnancy is just, it's crazy. Pregnancy is just one of the craziest things I will ever experience. And everyone's going to be different. No matter, you can, you know, work your tail off to, to keep, you know, not, right. Not gaining weight anywhere else or whatever. I mean, what everyone has different goals, but at the end of the day, you know, you're just happy that you're having a healthy pregnancy and you have a healthy baby. Um, so making sure that you do take care of yourself. Um, I remember I, didn't really want to take too much food from people. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is, you know, I don't want this. It's, you know, I, we can, we can do it, you know? And the last thing you want to do is think about what you're making. You know, yeah. you had two hours of sleep. Um, and so just accepting the support you have, um, is super important. It doesn't make you not a good mom. It doesn't mean that you're not doing well. Um, it just means that people love you. And I think that was something I've never had to lean on as many people as I had to have a baby during a pandemic. Um, yeah. You know, friends would come out and talk to me out in the side outside. Um, you came one time and we talked about it. Um, so just realizing that take the support. Yeah. Good. 
Take I think it. that's good. Yeah. Give yourself the grace to let people in and let them help you and actually let them help you. <laughs> right. right. And like on the rehab side, if, if you have a symptom, talk about it, yeah. don't let it go all that time. Um, and realistically, you know, I was walking, I was starting to do some workouts at probably six ish weeks. Um, but the weight of things, like whether you're doing squats or you're doing lunges, whatever, I could do the activity. It's not that I couldn't do it with the amount of weight, but was I doing it correctly? Was my pelvic floor working? I would notice that my symptoms would get worse if I really pushed a workout where is if I did it kind of more focusing on my pelvic floor, um, my symptoms wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, so realizing even though you can do it doesn't mean you should. Yes. Right. Yeah. No. And I think that that's something that I have to I back down patients quite a bit, honestly. And it, I will have patients that come in and they're like, well, I, I went on a run and I'm like, you just went to your six week checkup yesterday. And they're like, I just had to do it. I had to, I, you know, mentally I had to get out there and I would never shame anyone for doing those things, but it's like, let's, let's take a couple steps back and check a few things before we get to that. And not that, you know, everybody's different. I do have women that I see in the clinic that are running at six weeks and are appropriate for it. But I also have a lot of women that aren't appropriate for it and do it. And so I think that there's a stigma either way I've been seeing where it used to be like, you like it used to be I at least no in, exercise. It used to yeah. be no exercise. Don't do anything. Don't ever. do anything. You're gonna hurt yourself. And I'm like, no, you you have to lift your baby in a carrier all day. Like we've got to put some weight and do some you know deadlifts and firmer carries and all that kind of stuff. Like it's funny because we'll have people come like shadow us in the clinic and whatnot, and they're like, you guys just do a lot more with weight than I thought. And I'm like, these women are lifting things all day every day. How do we? How can we expect them to do it appropriately if they don't train for it? I'm like. Just because they're not in a gym lifting weight doesn't mean they're not doing it all day with their babies and at home and their jobs and whatever. So it's a whole different mindset to like switch it. You hear me? Oh, yeah, I can hear you. Okay, you're frozen for a little bit. Yeah, I feel like, like you said, the word like the stigma is just super high um, of just people returning to whatever the case may be so quick. And yeah, it might be realistic for some people, but I would consider myself active before pregnancy, during pregnancy. Um, and I didn't return as quick as I honestly thought I would. And yeah, um, mostly just because of my pelvic floor, you just forget how much trauma and everything happens down there. And even though you feel good, when you're exercising, you can tell it's just not right. So you just have to listen to your body. If you're like, mm, I don't know, then you probably shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and of course, you even had to get me to back down sometimes. I mean, once again, it's like, even if you're a medical profession, whether you're a fitness instructor or a PT, OT, doctor, I mean, I don't care who you are, it's your body. You're always going to probably do push yourself in a way that you probably shouldn't yeah. or push yourself enough. Um, even if you have the medical knowledge, having someone who is not biased, I felt like was critical to me Yeah, uh, because you're like, Megan, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. Okay. Yeah. And that, yeah, like you said, you can say that to yourself and reason you are a reasonable and intelligent person and you know that. But that doesn't mean that that side of you that has that athlete brain or that like, mm-hmm. I've got to feel better or want to look this way. I mean, it's inevitable. Yeah. It, it, it can be louder than the other voice. So for sure. Right. Right. 
But well, thank you so much for being on this. This has been a really, really awesome story for people to hear. And I know that it's um, it, more women should talk about these things. And I do think it's getting better, but it's it's really awesome to have you share your story. So thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope everybody enjoyed Megan's story. And yeah, can't wait for the next one. Hey, Pelvic Posse. We want to thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Can we ask you a couple of favors, please? Number one, can you like and subscribe to this podcast so that you will continue to empower your pelvis forever so that you will never miss out? Number two, can you leave us a rating and a review? Tell them how amazing we are and everything that you have learned about your pelvic health. And then number three, if you haven't seen the video version to this podcast, you can go over to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash empower your pelvis for all of our visual learners out there. We have all types of great visuals in there for you to not only listen to, but to watch. Thanks so much again and make sure to give your pelvis some love. Until next time, peace peace out, out pelvic posse.